when someone doesn't take initiative is that it leaves me as the chief decision-making officer. And um, the more decisions that you make in a day, the fewer decisions that you're able to make well. Yeah. And some, and there's a lot of days that I'll procrastinate a decision because there are too many decisions or I don't have the right answer and don't have the white space to make that right answer. So when people just take the ball and run with it, it eliminates the need for extra um, bottlenecking decisions to be made. Welcome to the Disruptance Podcast. Here are your hosts, Eric Forney and Michael Bounds. Mike, every week on the show, we aim to disrupt the way real estate agents and entrepreneurs think about their business and their life. And this week, you know, we've had a lot of people who have engaged in the conversation uh, that we had on last week's show about the difference between working in a corporate environment and an entrepreneurial um, business structure. And those two things can often be massively different. And so um, kind of along that same theme, we've been piggybacking on the um, the book, The Team Success Handbook, which really is a guide to working with entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so I wanted to go through what, I, what I'm calling now the, the 12 commandments of working um, in an entrepreneur company. And I want to get your take on, um, on what, what your perception is of those 12 commandments and, and how it's imperative that people show up in your organization and, and why these commandments are so critical in, in that style of environment. So Tyler, what's, um, or Kate, um, or both, uh, <laughs> would you like to popcorn? No, I'm kidding. Um, what's, what's, uh, what's one of the, uh, the first commandments of the entrepreneur company? So the first success strategy is create value. Always work to provide leadership, direction, relationship, confidence, and creativity capability. Okay, so create value. And what I hear is, is like from the perspective of if you work for the organization, how does someone who works for the organization create value for the company? We know obviously you create it for the customer, but how does someone create value for a company? So have you ever hired? I know you have. So there's two types of people that you hire, right? I've hired (laughs) a lot. You got to get good at it. But like you hire two types of people and there's two people, the two types, there's one type that normally adds energy and there's other types that take energy away. So you want to aspire to be the person that adds energy. And so when I say add energy is like, it's almost, it's weird. Like I'll hire somebody and then I notice they just start sucking from me or then I hire somebody and then they come around me and they energize me. So how do like, what would be an example of a way that someone adds energy to uh, when you work with them? So um, they add value. So I'll, 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 so for me from, I'm like me being an entrepreneur, when I came in uh, as the uh, team leader, CEO of uh, Indy Metro West, you know, I was like, you guys are, you're paying me a salary. So I need to do enough work in order to cover that salary. Yeah, that's right. You add value and then you're compensated for that value. And if you have that subtle shift in your mindset, 
that is in a corporate you're rewarded for the hours that's right in your in your in the time in your mm-hmm. in your task so then you can like you can have that mindset but in an entrepreneurial mindset you have to flip it so what i um i think that's really important because when you think about adding value there's a massive mindset difference between the person who believes they get paid for the job and then the person who believes they get paid for the value they contribute to the organization right very very different um when you when you contribute a massive amount of value to, or, to an organization, you systematically make yourself irreplaceable over time, which means you drive your own value up <laughs> as a result. Right. You Be- can't, you leave, like you can't leave. You can't yeah, leave. That's right. And so, and so the company does anything and everything they can right. for that person to stay. And ideally they're driving the value of the company up simultaneously. What I like about this is specifically um, in the book, they talk about having your batteries included or not like, so like when you hire somebody, are they coming with batteries or not? So are they just interviewing well or, and then they show up for work, but there's no batteries. And so it's kind of like what you're saying, Michael, they, are they just sucking energy? And then then you have to basically drain from your battery to get them to do what they need to do versus do they know what their unique talents and capabilities are to actually bring actual value? You know, I I coach agents a lot. And um, for whatever reason, it makes me think of actually what we're looking at right now, which, you know, um, for our our YouTube listeners and viewers, uh, sitting in front of a lake and there's, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice summer day and there's people out on boats, right? And, and early in the morning, people ski and, uh, and surf and and wakeboard because uh, the water is smoother in the morning time. And, um, and you know what I find too is that in the late summer, the boat gets like algae and barnacles and and all this sediment built up on the bottom of it, and um, and when you get that sediment build up and you get uh, a couple skiers behind the boat, all of a sudden when you hammer on the on the accelerator. The boat doesn't drive very fast. Drag coefficient. That's right. And the, <laughs> the driver is pulling those skiers and the barnacles and everything else that's weighing them down behind the boat. Yep. And that's what it feels like to as an entrepreneur when you have people in your radius of influence that aren't creating value for the company is you're pulling them behind the boat always. Yeah. And I feel like we've all been there. And that's not sustainable. You can't. <laughs> You, you got. I mean, I think there's times in your business where you have to do that, but uh, the job is to make it to where there's not by partnering with people that add value. You've always got a shiny hole, and you're always, you know, you're always, you know, out in the in the morning. And and if you're somebody who's looking for an opportunity, you know, this is the thing that I think is interesting. Um, it, when if you're someone who's looking for opportunity, you 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 add the value. Yeah. Um, knowing that everyone works for someone, regardless of where you are in an organization, um, even the CEO works for someone. Mm-hmm. They still have to contribute value to the organization in order to, to maintain an effective use of their job. And to wrap up this success, do you guys have anything else you want to add about adding value? Otherwise, I was going to provide some action steps from the book. Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, so there's four uh, four action steps that the book talks about that I really like. Um, always be looking for how you can produce faster, easier, cheaper, and bigger results. Pay attention to those activities that give you energy versus those that don't. Um, 
find new ways to be a leader, to provide confidence to others and to be creative with your capabilities. And finally, bring your own energy and your provide your own batteries. Yeah, that that one point about lead, be a leader. You just <laughs> oh good okay. I think we both like bloop. Man, like le- even if you're the director of first impressions, you are a leader. That's right. Everybody's a leader. Yeah. And when you don't perceive yourself in that light, you are not adding value. Yeah. You know, and, and even if you don't have a title, you do have the ability to lead. It's whether you choose to or not. That I think is one of the biggest misnomers that people don't understand the difference between an entrepreneur company and a corporate company is, is title or no title. You're a leader by your um, influence on others. The fastest way to influence others oftentimes without a title is by taking action and generating outcomes that other people take notice of because people will follow you if you um, have no title at all if you create massive value martin luther king's a pretty damn good example of that yeah. no title hell of a big movement yeah well and that's the opposite that so that's the opposite of, of what the court what corporate like they you they reward you for the titles yeah. they reward you for like the task where in an entrepreneurial it's flipped you go in, you lead, you get results, you are un, you know, you're untouchable. Yeah. So the second strategy is take initiative. Look for ways to be proactive, solve problems, make improvements, and, and propose ideas. In an, in an entrepreneur's world, your, your title always is CPO. You are the chief problem officer because mm-hmm. there are no shortage of problems um, to solve in business. Will you walk, will you walk past the trash when you, when you walk in the door every day or will you bend over and pick it up? Will you wait for the janitor? Or will you actually clean up the messes? And that's, that to me is the biggest difference is will you wait on someone else to do it because it's not my job or do you just get shit done? When you're, when you're an entrepreneur, they're like, um, I remember when you were, you, we were, me and you were talking about like CEO and we were talking and I, I think, um, you asked you you said something i i didn't give you an excuse or something like that and i think it kind of surprised you <laughs> i was like the buck stops with me like who do i complain to but yeah. like everybody is a ceo yeah and and so that if you like i work no different now than i did before i had the title i think you just kind of work up to the title yeah that's right it's because when you're when you're taking initiative you're actually um, you're actually taking uh, one of the other commandments. Um, you're you're really taking ownership of the outcome, right? When you take initiative, you are are taking responsibility of of things that happen around you, and then eventually the title shows up. Yeah, that's the thing that I've learned is like is people, some people get hired for the title, yeah. and then some people earn the a title earn a title when they take initiative. What's funny is the longer I chase the title, I never would get the title. Yeah. But then when you stop chasing the title, it just kind of pops up. You know, it's interesting though, Mike, I mean, that you say that, like you just, I mean, well, like you didn't, you didn't ask me <laughs> for the role. Um, you know, we just, we just announced that we've, we've partnered, done a nationwide partnership with, um, with Adam Hergenrother and the, um, uh, Hergenrother Realty Group. And, um, 
you know, I coached with Adam for three years. Never one single time did I ever ask for a role, a title, any involvement in the company at all. And and it makes sense that that the opportunity showed up for a need. And because I had taken initiative and demonstrated that without any compensation or without any involvement in the day to day company, there was there was the initiative to take take responsibility for um, growing the production of the company. And so I, day one, jump in and take initiative. You said this is what I got hired for. What how do we solve a problem in and how do we drive agent productivity? So let's go. I mean, I know better than to wait around to be told what to do. Right. It would be a real short lived um, opportunity for me if I waited on Adam to tell me what to do. Yeah. And it was the same thing when we, um, yeah. when we, when I, when I, when I started, you know, at Indie Metro West, uh, if I waited to get trained and that's, that's right. the thing, that's like right. people wait, like people yeah. are like, well, I don't know how to do a listing contract. Well, I don't know how to do it. Well, you know what? Figure it out. Like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. And so when I got hired as a CEO and they were like, okay, do you, you know what? I read a lot of books and you just got to take action. One of the best, one of the best things that I've heard at Gary Keller's mastermind, um, I'm sure that's supposed to be private. So I'm going to ask for forgiveness <laughs> later. But it's such, it was such a like punch in the face to me that it was so good. Um, there was someone who stood up who I believe um, runs the um, farm and um, land and ranch um, division of the company. And uh, the guy stood up at a mastermind one time because uh, Linda McKissick asked the question that said, Gary, when do I know when um, I'm being too uh, demanding of, a, of an outcome? And when am I expecting too much? And then when am I um, uh, like being reasonable? When am I being reasonable or when am I being unreasonable? And Gary said, I, you know, I, I actually don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. Those two words um, are not words that are in my lexicon. I don't know the concept of reasonable or unreasonable. Yeah. I know probable and possible. Right. And if someone else has done it, I know it's possible. Whether or not that person can do it. Um, is probability and I'm not focused on probability. I'm focused on possibility. And, and, and I was like, well, that was not the answer I was expecting right. to hear. Right. I really wanted him to answer the question and solve the, solve the problem. Cause I have the same problem. I'm sure everyone else does. How do I know when I'm the, when I'm being unreasonable or not? And so someone stood up in the farm and land division and said, um, Gary, I'll never forget. I, the first week that I partnered with you, uh, I said, I brought an idea to you that we should implement and um, told you all about what it was. And you said, that's a great idea. And, and then he goes, and I, and I ask you back, well, so what, what do we do next? Then like, what do we have to do to put it together? And Gary goes, if you have to ask that question, you're the wrong person. Yeah. And he goes, you turned around and you walked away from me. And in seven years, you've never answered a single question for me. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, it's, that's totally it. That that is it. Like people come to you with problems. Yeah, wanting but you nobody. To take them. Like you're looking for the people. Not only do you have the problems, but what is the solution? Mm-hmm. And so there's that's adding value. That's like right. as soon as you figure that out, mm-hmm. like oh, I can anybody can say you know this is wrong, but how do we fix it? And that's yep. what you need as an entrepreneur. Yeah. 
someone who someone who takes initiative of that yeah. in order to drive the value and I, owns it. Yeah, I thought it was cool. The guy was said he'd been there for seven years, and Gary's never answered another question for him like that or solved solved one of his problems. So someone who's taking the initiative to generate Love that it. that value. It really does have a lot to play into what you were saying, Eric. It's uh, you've got highlighted in your book here for those of you that are listening or watching. I'm holding Eric's book, so it's always interesting to see what somebody highlights in a book. Um, but he's got proactive versus reactive um, highlighted. So being proactive means stepping out, taking a risk, and trying something, which is a true entrepreneurial skill and capability. But then being reactive means you're being passive and waiting for others to go first. And so it is asking um, for forgiveness and not permission. And so then it's just taking those initial steps that I think is uh, the difference maker. Um, to somebody that actually bring value to a company or somebody that is just kind of waiting around to be told what to do, which is vital, I feel like, in any kind of company's growth. Um, a couple of the, uh, there's four take action steps here outlined in this section of the book. Um, one is ask yourself, how could this situation be improved? What could I do to make it better? Number two is start by taking small risks that have few negative consequences to acclimate yourself to taking a risk. So get, just generally get used to it. And then you'll probably even see like, oh, it's my boss isn't reacting negatively when I actually try to fix something. So I imagine you guys, when you guys have somebody that just is being, is attempting to, to be Eric. proactive. I do it to Eric. If, I just, you know, run fast. Break shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel like and I'm it's like, oh, my bad. too. Yeah, because it's like, okay, there is an I'm attempt sorry. here. Yeah. I won't do that again. Or, hey, it worked. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and largely, be, I can tell you one thing for sure for, with that I experience is that um, when someone doesn't take initiative is that it leaves me as the chief decision-making officer. And um, the more decisions that you make in a day, the fewer decisions that you're able to make well. Yeah, and some and there's a lot of days that I'll procrastinate a decision because there are too many decisions, or I don't have the right answer and don't have the white space to make that right answer. So when people just take the ball and run with it, it eliminates the need for extra um, bottlenecking decisions to be made. Yeah, yeah, which kind of leads into number three: recognize that asking for permission is a habit, and so is asking for forgiveness. So, just like making it a habit to just take action and then see what happens, versus sitting by paralysis by analysis and just waiting for something to happen, or well, let's see what happens first, then I'll then I'll maybe say something. So, I think it's also important to have like an environment and culture within your organization that fosters that kind of feedback. That you can do it, yeah, yeah, because otherwise. Um, but it can lead to this um, step number or take action step four, which is be sensitive to how your suggestions come across so that people yeah. you want to help make things better and you're not just being critical. Yeah. 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 That's one of the things <coughs> that, that, that's actually one of the, that's one of the like delicate dances that I'm going, that I'm going through m myself is knowing that, that I'm uh, early in the leadership phase with the, with the company um, and, and with the leadership team um, I want to, I want to jump in and just take initiative or take yep. responsibility for a vertical the reality is, is that I also realized that the, the new guy who wants to point out problems and, and suggest things is also really freaking annoying. And so there is a balance of trying to understand what is the accepted dynamic of a team of, um, of leaders 
in which, okay, what, what, what can you not touch yeah. in a company? Yeah. And, um, what can you touch and run with and make better? Where's that, where's that balance? I think that's where you have to, you have to observe people yeah. and you have to build trust yeah. in order to take initiative and ask for forgiveness without, um, without being the annoying person. Yeah. And how do you, and how do you show up to other people? Yeah. So you have to be super mindful of how you show up to people. So then you can, how, do how you, would you do that? Oh man. Um, That's a you, great. So it, hearing you say that was a great framing perspective. For yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I, guess, I, I struggle with it. Yeah, I really do. I struggle with it because you got you. You have to the way people see you, and you have to like the the biggest way I do it is receipts, results. Okay. Um, what I you know um, when I open my mouth, what I what I say, um, uh, and then it's actions, um, receipts. Go ahead. Yeah. No, what what came to mind listening to you was when you show up to serve the organization and the person that you're working with is the quickest way probably to build that level of trust. And so, so what, what I, what I've been doing as, as an effort to ensure that there's an understanding of intent is what can I take off your plate? Right. What are you doing that it, that is bogging down your job in order for me to own that so that it's, if I'm, if I want, if, if I appear to be critical, right. then I want to be critical of the things that you don't want to do anymore and are bogging down your 20%. So not only are you being critical, you're, you're giving a solution yeah. so that you can like be a, a part of the solution. Yeah. Because, because in my opinion, a leaders, leaders, um, and people who have a high set of standards for themselves want to contribute. Absolutely. Yeah. So you don't want to just do it to dump on them. You want to do it to help them. That's right. And so a couple of things, uh, another thing that you said earlier, uh, I don't about adding energy to someone. The one fallacy as an entrepreneur that I have learned and it's kind of it burned me out is that you can't really add energy to anyone. You it may be temporary, but like if some if so your focus is on bringing on people that you don't, the batteries are included because if you are putting your energy, you just don't have enough energy to run a business. How do you identify that in a in an interview for any of you? Like if you're meeting with somebody, how do you think that you uncover that part? Like whether someone has batteries included or not. I did hear on a podcast I was editing this week about a tactic that this person uses when they're hiring someone. They give them a task that's really, really difficult. And in this case, it was like finding a bakery, like a good cake, for like tw- but only pay $12 for it because <laughs> she knew that was a really hard thing to do. And so she was actually doing it to see like how people solved it. Like organized people would send like a spreadsheet and it'd be like, this bakery is this far away. And I was able to get them down to this if you buy this many. And like, but then like a creative person might run into it and be like, I don't think we're going to be able to find it for that price. So they may even come up with like, you could get cupcakes for this or you could get this for this. Interesting. So she uses that when she's interviewing people to figure out literally, do you have enough batteries included to go solve a difficult problem? Yeah. And then also sees then how they use their energy to solve the problem. Yeah. We do something similar uh, from an operation side with the same thing, which is like a, a travel experiment. Basically, if, you know, 
fictitious scenario is I come in and drop this problem that I'm traveling to go to a conference um, on this date. Walk me through all the steps that you're going through in order to ensure that this is all taken care of and booked and um, and then demonstrate what the end product looks like. Yeah. And my and my intent is to try to understand is are you are you are you reserving an expensive hotel? Are you booking a motel six? Mm-hmm. Are we getting a direct flight? Are we getting multiple stops? Um, am I speaking at the conference or am I attending the conference? So am I going in the morning? Am I going the day before? Am I like, what are the logistics? Uh, there's not a right or a wrong answer, right? but here's the thing. I'm not available. So you have to fate you, you, you got to have the outcome. Yeah. And I'm not, and, and I'm not available to answer your questions. So, uh, but I, you got to have it booked. And you want to see the process. You want to see how how they come to the conclusion or where they're going to. I remember I used to early on, I don't do this anymore, but I used to during my interview, I would I would bring I would do a I would send them a KPA. And once I send them a KPA, I would do an interview on the phone. Once I do an interview on the phone, I would meet them and I would literally sit them in front of my computer and I say, make phone calls until I tell you to stop. Yeah. I did. I would just say, hey, just bang out phone calls until I tell you to stop. Here's the script. Here's yeah. what we're doing. This is what you're doing. And people would do it. Some people, I ain't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know whether or not you can be good on my team mm-hmm. or not. That was the quickest way. Or they'll do it for 15 minutes and I will go in there and the dude is gone. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, one last thing for batteries, I think, is how you test for this. Um, when, we look, when we go through the career visioning process at mm-hmm. Keller Williams, um, you, you go through the life story portion of the conversation with, with that candidate. During that life story, what I'm looking for is, is what – what are ways that a, that a person has historically demonstrated a habit and a pattern of having a extracurricular success and or success in whatever they set out to achieve? So are they doing things without provocation like working while in college? Are they on, you know, quiz bowl and sports and extracurriculars while going to college? Are they doing things that require more of themselves than just status? Showing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another thing is I look for is I look for victims. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, like, why did you leave? If they blame everything on everybody else, then I, you know, you know. It is what it is. You can kind of pick that up really quick. Yeah. And so, like, if you have that, for some reason, um, there's just a, there's a disconnect. Um, you, you, they just don't. I can't partner with them very well. Well, that's a good segue to number four, Tyler, if you have that, that one by chance in front of you or Kate. Uh, because um, that, for me, is the fastest way to lose with me is the same thing, is the, is the storytelling and, yeah. and victims. So number four is have an ownership attitude. Take full responsibility for your projects, your communication, and your actions. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And a lot of the, like, the thing is, you don't see it. Like, I, there's, and the thing is, like, I'll have a victim mentality on something. I don't even realize I have. Yeah, I remember I did yeah. hiring. With hiring people, I'm like, well, you know, I'm just not. No, nah, that's, no, nah, I'm not going out doing what I need to do in order to get good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's totally a big one. It is. It's, it, it's, um, it, it's one of the flaws um, <laughs> that we have is that we're conditioned almost because of consequences in telling the truth at times. Right, is when we don't have the safe space to admit 
um, that we didn't uh, that we didn't do what we said we would do either because we were overcommitted, we're uh, we're under um, underskilled or underknowledged, um, or we're afraid of the consequences. Oftentimes, um, when we when we make excuses or don't take responsibility for the um, actions and for the outcome, it's it's something we've it's baggage we've carried with us since we were little children i think yeah. and um and so how i try to uh, how do I, how i try to catch myself and others is um i think the word excuse is the you know two weeks ago we talked about words mm-hmm. and the word excuse has a negative connotation to it where people think that excuses are pretty cut and dry they're clear like most of the time when you're making an excuse for something it's like blatantly obvious right but when you tell, but when we tell stories, <laughs> that's when we're telling the story to ourselves to listen to our own bullshit. Yeah. And so for me, the fastest way to lose with me is to tell stories because I just have to assume that if you're telling a long story about something with a really short answer, that it just didn't happen. And like why it didn't happen, I don't care. I actually care more about the fact that you told yourself a story than you did about it yeah. not actually doing it because having it not be done won't fix it. Right. Which goes back to one of our other things is having a results being results driven. Yeah. The the story doesn't matter what the outcome of that story is what matters. That's right. And sometimes like here's the thing is I don't do everything I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And and the faster I can accept. Right. (laughs) The faster I the faster we can accept that we that that we're all infallible working towards upholding more of the commitments that we make every day um, is the faster we can get comfortable with saying is telling no stories about why we committed to something that either we were unable or unwilling to deliver on. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't change the outcome as long as we, if we tell a story, sometimes it makes it more understandable. Yeah. Like I was going to do something last weekend. Lauren's plane caught on fire. Yeah. It was not on my calendar to have her mid flight plane, um, have a cabin fire. Um, it's a great story. It derailed, right. But it derailed <laughs> my ability to get done what I had committed to getting done at that time. Right. So no excuses should have gotten it done. Life yeah. showed up. Yeah. That does. I was going to add to um, responsibility equals blame is one of the is like the first section in this, but oh. um, I think it would, I think um, what you've got highlighted here I thought was interesting, and I think it's like a really important differentiator between people that kind of get this or not. But um, well, sir, um, admitting when you've made a mistake and setting it right, it also means taking credit for something you've done well. It means owning something and making it yours, both the good and the bad. Um, do you do that? I, I do, think, do any of you guys actually take credit when you do things well? That's what I was going to say. I, no. I'm really good at taking blame. Or yeah, I, I take blame the, yeah, and like I don't take credit when, yeah. yeah. I tried to deflect, hey, you know. I am one of the world's greatest at taking blame. Yeah, I'll take but. the blame all day, but I never <clears throat> want to take credit, which I think it's like, well, why? And I think it's... It is interesting, story. right? Because that makes me wonder, like, is it less fulfilling to take credit for yourself? Like, do, you, do we actually just all want someone else to acknowledge it and give us credit for it? 
Yeah, I think that takes the fun out of it. When I'm I'm saying, hey, look at me. Yeah, because you definitely (laughs) wanted me to acknowledge the other day your spreadsheet that you built. Yeah, I was upset. Yeah, and so I'll tell you what, though. I learned in that moment, though, the difference that I was oblivious to, which is that exact thing, which is giving credit when someone... When someone worked hard on something that they want credit for in an organization. And like I did it when Lauren's plane caught fire. Um, I, she called and I said, here's how I'll, I, I went, I went right into like problem solving mode that yeah. was, okay, then here's what, here's the, here's the problem. Here's the solution. How would you like me to solve it? Here are some choices. This is what I'm going to do if I don't, if you don't pick an outcome. Yeah. She didn't want me to do that actually at that time. Actually, she wanted me to just actually like be in, be in, present and empathetic and acknowledge the the feeling that was needed in that moment. The same way that you did with that spreadsheet, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I do the same thing. Uh, I just wonder if as a, as leaders if that's actually something that we all need to improve on. Yeah. Um my therapist just taught me that this week. <laughs> about about the whole because I'm capped and save them. So, oh yeah. So um, instead of like throwing out like this is how I'm gonna I'm gonna fix this, just saying hey, do you need help with that? You mm-hmm. know, just start there. So I'm yeah. I'm pretty horrible at that. I think it has something to do too with being able to trust the people that are working with yeah. you. Um, they talk about trust in this uh, section. And part of taking greater responsibility and ownership is building trust with your team and your entrepreneur. And what's about, and the thing with trust is um, when it's given, you work really hard to be worthy of it. And I thought that was kind of something that stood out for me as well in this, um, because it is something where it's like, if somebody's trusting you to take on a task, we're just trusting your judgment on something. You do want to actually, your actions, you want to like have them reflect what you're trying to like take care of. Um, and then you can encourage the entrepreneur to trust you by not making assumptions instead ask, what do I need to know in order for this project to be a success? And that's the thing too, is that like, you know, somebody has to may ask questions. You know, we talked about it last week, Tyler, is that communication is a, is a two way street. There is the sender and the receiver. Right. And it is not exclusively the sender's responsibility to ensure that communication has actually occurred. The receiver has a responsibility to provide feedback, to ask questions, to gain the clarity that's needed in order to accomplish what a responsibility they've been given. And so what I hear is, is that's a fantastic question is what does this look like when it's done and done well? Because sometimes the person who's communicating doesn't actually know. Yeah. Well, Especially you, if they're an entrepreneur. I just did it with you earlier when we were prepping. And I said, I said a generic term and, yeah. and there was a, there's a disconnect. We talked about this, your face stops a clock or your beauty <laughs> transcends time, yeah. right? We're saying the same exact thing, but I'm using different words. You do an excellent job, Eric, saying... I what I heard you say is this so I can say something and then you share with me what you heard so then there's no breakdown in the communication normally that doesn't happen I say what I say and then you hear it and it may not I may have said your face stops a clock (laughs) well I'm terrible at community as being the sender or at least oftentimes I think that I am Um, and that's that's certainly feedback that I get um, is that (laughs) being the sender is not 
one of my strengths. I, I see I see a end result in an abstract, ambiguous outcome. I don't see all the steps to get there. Someone like Kate sees the steps to get there. Someone like Kate, all in who if she's a receiver, may have to extract those steps or extract clarity to the end result. But but it's not a it's not exclusively a one way street for the for the sender to be solely responsible for doing that. Yeah. I think there's like a couple of things to that. Um, I think when you are working with any like big thinking entrepreneur, I know Eric, like when we are driving or when we're just on one of our phone calls, we do have a lot of times where it's like, we're kind of like imagining a big picture of like what could be something. And so I think it is important to try to break that down because a lot of times I, I know for myself, I think out loud. Yeah. So especially on our phone calls, well, like I, I think sometimes it's just more of a, uh, a thought experiment phone call more than anything where mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, but then it leads to something and then we're able to kind of something will come from it. Um, and also going back to asking back or asking kind of, well, mirroring is the term that I, yeah. I learned therapy was it works in relate. It works really well for relationships because you want to be able to mirror what your partner is saying. Otherwise you might just assume how they feel about something yeah. or just because you would feel some way about that. Um, when in reality it might be something different. My experience has been that not everyone's able to do that well though. So what is the, what is the effective, um, tools or keys to being able to mirror, um, effectively you think, and maybe Kate's the, the better one for that. Well, um, a lot of what, what Michael said you did well, that's why Tyler and I were both looking at each other cause we were like mirroring, uh, like the way you literally learn it typically in therapy is you, especially if you're in couples therapy ever is your therapist will like, which we're notice. like clearly all a big fan. Right. Of like, <laughs> like, I, like I, I say it everywhere we go. Right. Tyler's like, I am, I am therapy advocate. Number one, it's had a massive impact on my own life in a very positive way. And most people would have said that had everything going for me and didn't need therapy. And you could make that argument, but man, I'm a hell of a lot better person 10 years of therapy than without so go get therapy yes i agree (laughs) when you're learning how to do it if you have a good therapist they've probably been paying attention and they can think of a topic that you aren't like gelling on yet and so then basically one person gets to start and you use like i statements when you're talking about yourself like i feel this i think this whatever the issue is and so you wait for the person to be done talking, and then you literally say back to them, what I'm hearing is, and you said that's even kind of what Eric has done with you. Um, and so then you say back what you're hearing. And what's interesting is you may use different words than the other person, but it uncovers like how you interpreted what they said. Yeah. And that's how you can get down. And then so sometimes like I would say, what I'm hearing you say is this, and he'd be like, no. And mm-hmm. so, like, yeah. if you don't do that, you never know yeah. that you're you having miscommunication. go the whole, that, and that's where the break is. Yeah, yeah, and that that happens in in our marriages, and that's also what happens when we're with, you know, working with our partners in our business and with our clients. Yeah, and when someone feels heard, mm-hmm. it is the most it's the most powerful thing you can give someone, and when they feel understood. Uh, Telling, telling on myself here, I went to Kroger the other day to pick up a prescription and it wasn't at the Kroger that I went to. Thought that it was, was told that it was, it was not. Um, I was like, I just wanted the problem solved. 
to try to understand how do I solve this problem? Where is it? How do I pick it up? How do I get it? The, we weren't communicating. The person that the, the pharmacist and I, and the pharmacist was growing increasingly frustrated, and then I was growing increasingly more frustrated. She said, well, you're going to have to leave if you continue to, um, to um, if you t- continue to a- act frustrated like this or act like mm-hmm. if you continue to act hostile and I was like, I'm not acting that way. I'm frustrated because I just want to know how do we simply solve the problem? When that person didn't hear my, um, my feeling, my emotion in that conversation, it actually elevated my level of frustration. Right. And so it's like, Hey, how, how, how do we go awry here? Yeah. It's because people stop listening or they listen with their own filter right. to, to the way someone feels. I think it's an incredibly challenging skill set that takes a ton of work for people to understand. Yeah, You have to actually understand feelings. Which I know that sounds ridiculous to say you have to understand feelings, but um, I didn't know feelings t- 10 years ago when I showed up. No clue. Yeah, no. I remember being asked, when was the last time you were sad? And I was like, I wore that thing with a badge, man. I'm like, look, I got a crown. I'm the champion of the world. I was maybe like I'm, I'm six, a badass. five. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been sad in at least 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that that actually was something men knew how to do. Yeah, <laughs> suppress it. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. And so if you suppress it, you don't actually know how to identify it and listen to it. So I work with these, um, I work with some kids uh, in Anderson, um, you know, and they, they need some guidance, some mentor. And uh, we, a- we asked a guy, the, one of the young men, uh, we asked him, you know, what it was like to be a man. You know, he's a young man. He's coming up probably. In his, he's a teenager, 12, 13. He says, um, I don't want to be scared. You know, real men aren't scared. I'm like, bro, I'm scared every day. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. just like, how do you, how do you handle that? That's right. How, so if we grow up with that condition, condition in our children that you're not supposed to be have fear, and then they experience it, that messes you up. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're teaching our kids the wrong message. Yes, as a man, we can have emotions, we can cry, we can have fear. It's how you handle it. That's right. To wrap up this section um, on taking ownership and having an ownership attitude, there's four questions that the book outlines that I really like that kind of help clarify um, what results you're going after. Um, one is what do I need to know in order for this project to be a success? I think that's where it's like, you can definitely, one person might think, oh, this is the result we're going for, but actually it might be something completely different. Um, what's the worst case scenario? What are you worried about? So I can take steps to make sure that doesn't happen. What's the best case scenario? What do I need to be working towards? And what's your criteria for success? What standards do I have to make sure I hit for you to have confidence? I think th- I think each of those questions are really good because it is yeah they, they are. Get tattoo you, that uh, yeah like it's very tattoo worthy yeah. that's because what the, what I think all those questions do a good job of is forecasting what could happen and it also helps tackle any assumptions that could be relevant in the uh, conversation as well. You know, it also it also um, requires both parties to know what success looks like and to get clarity on it. Otherwise what, what happens is you chase Frisbees, 
right? And that's one of the things about being an entrepreneur is you throw out ideas because you see opportunity in everything. Yeah. And so when you throw Frisbees to the Frisbee catching dog, they may try to catch all nine of them simultaneously, but nine Frisbees may not be the what's required to win. Maybe you only need to get five of them. Yeah. In order to win the frisbee catching dog contest, yeah, maybe it's the red one. You throw out nine, and only one of them's red. So you're out chasing all nine. You need to go get that red one. So everyone needs to be in alignment to understand that, and it's not exclusively the sender and the leader's responsibility for that, for sure. 